Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Grace. We need to understand God's grace. You know, I don't know that we as Christians understand God's grace enough. I don't think we can sing about it enough. I don't think we can cling to it enough. God's grace, that's really what's going on here in Galatians. The Judaizers struggle with grace. For them to be accepted by God by grace through faith is not enough. We can understand that. For them, they've had the law. The law is their identity. It's their cultural, ethnic, and just their their national treasure. Not that they observed it and obeyed it, but yet it was the one thing that united them together. The law had eventually boiled down by the time of Christ as just as a method to produce one's own righteousness or to be accepted by God. And that's been the theme here of Galatians. How is one made right with God? How is one brought into the family of God? Paul is preaching the gospel. He's defending the gospel. And to him, the gospel is, is we are saved by grace through faith, not of works. To the Judaizers, this is treason. To them, to be a family of God is to be a child of Abraham and to be circumcised and then observe the law. They had been taught, and been taught rightly so, that any who were not circumcised or did not obey the law were to be cut off. Yet they did not understand God's very word and their own tradition. And Paul had spent some time going through that and sharing that the promise to Abraham was greater than the Mosaic law. Not that they were in competition or annulled each other or in conflict, but they both accomplished the same purpose in pointing to Christ. And so salvation or being a part of family of God was not by a set of rules and set of regulations. As pure and as good and as holy as those were, they were not able to bring anyone into a right relationship with God. And we need to understand that. For the thing is, is rules and regulations and things cut into stone have no power or there was no ability for them to obey the law. And what does God demand from you and I, by the way? He tells us in Matthew 5.48. I've said it many times. This is some I repeat myself, redundancy is the key to learning. So these are things that I want you to grab as we share them. Is what is it that God requires of all people? Anyone want to know? You can look up Matthew 5.48. You speed readers, you Bible sword drills. To be perfect. He says, you must be perfect even as my Father is perfect. And we found in Galatians, again, speak back to me, is what happens if you disobey one part of the law, you are guilty of what? All of it. So for a child who disobeys his parent, he is now guilty of the whole law. You see, even though it was the very words of God and we hold them precious, it was no power to obey. So God says, I have to make a new way, and that's the gospel in which Jesus came down 
And for 33 years, I may be redundant again, but it's important for us to understand this. Many times we think of what Jesus did on the cross as the most important thing in salvation. But that was an important part. But Jesus had to live 33 years on this earth for a reason. And we skip over it so often. And the reason why Jesus had to live 33 years is so that he could obey the law perfectly. See, what God required, Jesus provided. For he obeyed the law perfectly. And he says, I have fulfilled all things in the law. And so by his perfect obedience, God says, by his grace, I will take Jesus' obedience, his righteousness, and I will apply it to those who will respond in faith. That's the power of the gospel. That's the grace that you and I sung about this morning. That all I have is Christ should be enough to give you chills. The song grace greater than all of our sin. That's what's going on here. For you can see the Judaizers would say, but wait a second. If there's no guidelines, if there's no laws, if there's no rules, and if it's only by grace, what keeps us pure and holy? And that's a question I would ask. For Paul has said, you no longer have to produce your own righteousness. Producing good works is of no good and of no value to you in that regard. You will never be accepted by me by your good works. For the Bible tells us, all of us, what? Come short of the glory of God. And that all of our works are, are not good. And even the good works that you and I attempt are always tainted by some type of sin. Whether you're Gandhi, Mother Teresa, or even the Apostle Paul, he himself said what? Oh, what wretched man that I am. You and I know this. There are some of you that are here today, and you're saying, I'm doing a good work. I'm here to listen to God's word. I want to hear God's word. But yet, is there not even a part of you that desires to be somewhere else? Or that chaffs at what the scripture says? Or just gets angry that you have to stand for another song? Or that it's too warm or too cold? Even here this morning as we worship, our attitudes betray us. God says, I give you grace. And to the Judaizers, they're saying, wait a second. All right, that just doesn't make sense. And you and I can agree. And so we as churches and Christians, we have developed our own set of rules, have we not? to make ourselves pure and holy, or what it means to be a Christian. We set up things like tongues. Well, you must profess tongues or speak in tongues to be saved. Again, a different gospel. Oh, well, you must be baptized to be saved. Again, another gospel. Is baptism important? Yes, God has commanded us. He says, follow Him in believer's baptism. Then we set up rules that I have to read God's word every day and I have to read it for this length of time. Or i got to pray this much. Or I've got to do this and I've got to do that. And we do everything to social norms, to personal preferences and, tra and, and, and traditions. And in them, by doing these things, we pat ourselves on the back and say, well, look how good I am. I am a good Christian. We've all fallen victim to that. And every denomination and tradition follows some type of things. 
You and I understand that. For when we get up this, in, the, in the evening, when all of a sudden we're going to bed, we realize, oh, I didn't have time to read God's Word. And we feel guilty, and many times maybe we should. But yet when the shame comes, and we feel that God is angry with me because I did not do this work, we find ourselves going off the gospel rails and outside of grace. For when God says that He paid for all of our sins, that means He even paid for when we don't desire God and for those times that we refuse to honor God, is it not? You can say an amen. It won't hurt you. And this is where we have today. So the Judaizers say, well, Paul, how is it that you're going to keep people on the straight and narrow? How are you going to have them where their profession of faith is real? For some would take their freedom and say, well, I can live any way that I want. And I hear that all the time. I have even debated some of you, and some of you have had this conversation in groups where you feel that someone can say some prayers, some magical incantation, oh dear Lord, please forgive me and come in my heart, and then we can live the next 15 to 20 years outside of God's plan, outside of God's body, and then say, I'm still going to heaven. Why? Because God's grace, God's forgiveness. And what we've taken is God's truth and God's word and God's grace, and we've cheapened it. And we've turned it on its head, and it should not be so. God's grace comes with a cost. So Paul is answering, I think, a very good question that the Judaizers may be bringing up. Was there any expectation then for a Christian, for one who professed Christ? And I would say yes. Last week, Paul said, is instead of observing the Mosaic law with all of its moral and, and civil and ceremonial laws, your goal is to serve others with Christ. Now, here's the reason why we say that. Is the moral law of the Old Testament, has it been fulfilled in the fact that it's gone? It's been fulfilled in the fact that our representative has fulfilled it. But it is still applicable to us in the fact that it's encoded in our laws, is it not? Almost every nation has a code of laws. It's good. Freedom is good, but unrestrained freedom is not. We've all read Lord of the Flies. What happens when you have a bunch of people together without any rules and regulations? And Paul is trying to tackle that. So is the Mosaic law good for us to follow? Yes, the laws are there, but here's something that we must understand, and this is the attack that we have against the world many times or against us, is there are many things that the moral law, the Ten Commandments, do not answer. They do not address, for the most part, many of the things that we struggle in this world. And people will say, well, it doesn't say this. It's so black and white. What about all the different gray areas in life? And this is where Paul says, well, the law is very simply, is love your neighbor as yourself. Do I have to give you only 10 commandments and then give you another 600 to, to affect them? That's what the Jews had done. They had taken the law of God and they had made so many legal loopholes to get through them and so they can justify their own sin. And that's what we do. So Paul says, really, it's the moral laws in effect, but I tell you what, if you just serve others in love, you will fulfill the law. If you treat others as God would want you to treat them, you will fulfill that moral law. So then we go to the second one. It's not only we to fulfill the moral law in the fact that we serve others in love, but also when we walk by the Spirit. For look at in Galatians chapter 5, 
Paul had said, for you were called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. So how do we do that? By serving one another in love. We understand that. There's a tension in our life. There's a great conflict. As we read in our scripture in Romans chapter 6, we understand that sin is still with us. We have a new heart, but the only fleshly habits still reside. We are saved from the penalty and the power of sin, but still we are awaiting the deliverance from the presence of sin. Even here this morning, the presence of sin is having its sway in many people's heart. Until that time, he says, there's some marks of a Christian that allow them to live out what God has called us to do. As we walk by the Spirit, produce fruit, and crucify the flesh. Father, we come before you this morning, and we ask for your guidance. Help me to speak words that are edifying. Let me speak your word. Give us the the discernment to speak truth from opinion, and let all opinion be based on the principles of your word. Let us open up our hearts and let us hear, maybe for the first time, even the gospel and how it speaks to our life, how it speaks to us in our struggle to please you. And Lord, even that that desire many times to live by rules, but many times our rules can lead us in the wrong way. So open up our hearts to your truth. In your name, amen. You know, I can understand the desire to have some guidelines. They're helpful and they're good in many times. But what happens is when those begin to replace the gospel. That's what's happening on Galatians. And that's what's happening in many churches today. As we go on to Galatians chapter 5, I may go quickly through the passage because I want to spend some time on answering a big question here. I want to share with you three commands that we're going to see that Paul says, this is how you fight the flesh. This is how you live in the era of grace. We see the first one is in verse 16 when he says, Yield to the Spirit's direction. Yield to the Spirit's direction. He gives us a precept and a principle here. Look when it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. When he says here to walk, that means to maintain a certain conduct of life. There's a daily battle with the flesh. You and I understand this. We've been going through this in Sunday school. Some of this may be redundant for you. But though the presence of sin is still evident, you and I do have the power to fight sin. John MacArthur writes of the two fields in which Martin Lloyd-Jones gives an illustration describing the believer and his humanness of sinful nature. You can picture this, he says, picture two fields with a road dividing them. Throughout his life before Christ, Lloyd-Jones lived where Satan is king on one side of the field. He ruled that roost. Satan always told him what to do, and his humanness simply responded to sin as each and every one of us have. The field on the other side of the road is controlled by Christ. And by the grace of God, Martin Lloyd-Jones, or you and I, crossed over the road into the new field by placing our faith in Christ. 
That field is the dominion of Christ and controlled by His righteousness and His holiness. Christ was the new ruler and the new monarch in our lives. The only problem that Martin Lloyd-Jones said he experienced was sometimes he could hear Satan from across the road still barking orders at him. Satan had a clever way of making him interested in what he was ordering him to do, even though he was no longer under Satan's dominion. And many fall prey to the very one from whom they've been delivered. And you and I know this because that's the conduct and the battle that's in our life. To combat this constant barking of the old passions, you and I are to walk in the Spirit. You see, flesh cannot produce holy living. Only the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit can. Verse 16 gives us a command along with a promise. He says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You and I are always seeking, how can I say no to those desires? We know they're wrong. When we fall to them, when we, when we stop resisting, when we stop fighting and give in to them, you and I are just covered with shame and guilt. And we say to ourselves, next time I'll do better. Help me, I just don't want to do this any longer. And Paul says, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify those desires. It seems like a simple command. It comes with a promise. Many times you and I understand that's difficult to do. In verse 17, we see the principle of why we should walk in the Spirit and not gratify the old desires. What's wrong with me uh, of just enjoying some of those old flesh? Sometimes, you know, I just need a break. Following God is too difficult. What's wrong with me just every once in a while just doing what I want to do? What he tells us when he says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing what the things you want to do. That was Paul's lament in Romans chapter 7. You see, there's a war going on for your attention and obedience. Satan does not accept defeat graciously. Though he cannot take away your salvation, he wants to keep you paralyzed from doing the work that God has created you for in Ephesians 2.10. That we were saved for good works. We are his workmanship. And so God says, there are things that I want you to do. But so many Christians are in a paralyzed, we're in comas. We're sitting there saying, oh, I want to do what God has called me to do, but yet I can't. Right now, today, there are some of you that God has called you to do something, but yet you haven't done it. Maybe it's becoming a member of a church or attending church. Maybe it's simply in serving the church. Maybe it's in giving. Maybe it's in sharing your faith. Maybe it's giving up some type of activity or for friends that are not good for you. But yet you're so paralyzed you cannot do it. If that's you, let me tell you that Christ can come and just unfreeze you from that moment and from those paralyzing thoughts. When Paul writes that you are not under the law, you and I need to recognize this. For so many times, you and I think, but I can't help it. Is that not what an addict says each and every time he fails? Is that not our thoughts and our words each and every time we succumb to the same sin over and over? I can't help it. But he writes, when you're not under the law, he's reminding Christians that we're no longer under the dominion of sin. 
and it has no hold on us. It's just the barking of an old mangy old dog that knows that its time is limited. But you and I listen to that barking as it's of sweet music. Why is it? Why? Because we're not walking by the Spirit being led. You see, God's antidote to the passions and the desires that you and I crave. And we crave it, do we not? We crave it as someone who's on a diet craves ice cream and chocolate cake. We crave and desire the things that we're not supposed to have. Is that not true? Well, the antidote is that, is to give us the Spirit. Paul had already written that the children of God have the Spirit in chapter 3 and in verse 14. He had given the Romans the same information when he wrote in Romans 8, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For you and I to be successful in the Christian life, for us to live in this grace that God has called us to, to enjoy the freedoms that God has set us free for, you and I must yield to the Spirit. We must walk in the Spirit. The second thing that he gives us command is to give proof of their profession is to give proof of their profession, to clarify, to prove in your actions, in your attitudes, your nature, that you truly are a child of God. For many people will have doubts of their salvation, and I can understand that. For many years, I struggled with doubts. But let me tell you, the Scripture can help you with that. And this is a very difficult portion of Scripture we're about to read. But read silent with me as I read out loud. For he says, now the works of the flesh, those things that you and I crave in the old passions, they are what? Evident. He says they're not hidden. They're not something that you cannot find. He says they are exposed for all to see. And he lists them, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. The evidence of our profession is very clear. If our life is marked by these behaviors and these ongoing practices without repentance and confessions, he says, you are in trouble. Because he gives a warning. Look, he says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not, what? Say it out loud inherit the kingdom of God. Let me tell you, if I just described your lifestyle, that is not good news. You need the good news of the gospel. For the Bible says it was pointed on a man wants to die, then after this, the judgment. And those who do such things set under the judgment of God and His wrath will be poured out on you. But then he gives us the virtues of those that walk by the Spirit. For in verse 22, he says, but, what a great word. But just says, forget everything else. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the very virtues of God. And that's what he's called us to. And he says, if you want to know if your profession of faith is true, well, which ones does marked by your life? What is your life? What is your behavior? 
If you're walking by the Spirit, you're going to produce those types of fruits. If you're walking by the flesh, these are the types of things that you get. But then he gives us then in verse 23, in that last part, he says, against such things there is no law. What does that mean? He's saying that the law, the Mosaic law, rules and regulations, no matter who they come from, cannot produce these attributes. Yeah, they may be able to get some fake fruit. Have anyone of you ever been, been fooled by fake fruit in a bowl? You know, it looks so good, it looks so right, but as you get closer, something just tells you something's not, it's got a little bit maybe more of a shine, and it's not until you actually grab it, and then, oh, wait, like, this isn't real, but it gave you a desire for it, did it not? And sometimes there are people who can fool us into thinking they have some type of fruit, but yet their life will show it out. Walking by the Spirit produces these attributes of God, which leads us to the third one, to the person of Christ, when He calls us to crucify the flesh. Those that are God's children need to crucify the flesh. And those who belong to Christ Jesus, He says, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. He gives us a conclusion with an action. He's saying, this is how you know. Believers do not need the law to restrain the flesh or their behavior because it's already been crucified. It's been put to death. Go to the next slide. You'll see Galatians 2.20. We've looked at this previously. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so that is something that all Christians have done. I'm so weary and leery of those who present the gospel as just saying, well, God wants to forgive you. You just want to go to heaven, right? You don't want to go to hell. And they never present the fact that accepting Christ means crucifying the flesh. And I'm afraid there are many people who believe that they are Christians, but yet they've been presented half the gospel. And they don't understand why they are failing in their Christian life. And let me tell you today, to be one of Christ is you need to crucify the flesh. It shows in our resistance. It shows in our fighting of sin. It shows in us in trying to fight the cravings that are in there. It's not that we fail. It's not that we, we don't desire it, but yet we've crucified it. We consider it dead. Many of us can keep resurrecting it and trying to use our sin for our own benefit and our own pleasure, thinking that we are in control, but yet we're not. The conclusion of this passage is very simple. It's true freedom comes with a cost. Some think freedom is just living life and doing what I want, but true freedom comes with a cost, does it not? It comes by disciplined living in the Spirit's power. Not disciplined living in my own power, but in the power of the Spirit. You see, living in our own power will only lead to slavery as we give in to the desires and the passions of the flesh. And as he tells us, it leads to death. Let me give you some practical living here. This is the know, the to do, and the be. As you and I look at this and say, well, what does he want us to know? You and I need to know that the Christian life is going to be a constant battle between the spirit and the flesh. 
Freedom is going to come with the cost. There's still a battle that's going on. It's been a victory that's been won. The, the war has been finished, but yet there's skirmishes around the outside. What are you and I to do knowing that? What is the action that we are called to? We are to be led by the Spirit and to crucify the flesh. And what are we to be? What's our conduct? What's our character to be during this? We're to be infused with the fruits of the Spirit. Our life ought to be marked by love and gentleness and self-control and patience. Those are the things that people ought to see in our lives. Now, as we look at that passage, that seems pretty simple, but yet you and I know that it's difficult. This is probably one of the most famous portions of Scripture that people use. But I have to tell you, I had to ask a question. And so I'm going to share something with you that I've asked myself. What does it mean to be led by the Spirit? What does it mean to be walked by the Spirit? Because all I can think of is I must have rules and regulations that I must follow because that's how I discipline our lives. That's how we do it, right? And so for me, I use my Bible reading, my prayer to kind of keep me on the straight and narrow. However, keeping me on the straight and narrow does not mean that it's pleasing to God. Because again, it's my own tools and my own ways of making myself right with God. And that's against the gospel. So I want to tackle the question first, why do you and I need the Spirit? Why was the law not enough? If it was good enough for Moses, if it was good enough for Samuel and David and Daniel, why was it not good enough for us? Well, if you want to take your Bibles, and I'm going to go through this quickly, is turn to Jeremiah chapter 9. We're going to look at two passages, Jeremiah 9, and then the most famous one in Jeremiah 31. I'll go through those quickly. Jeremiah chapter 9, are you with me? Verse 24. When God says, let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practice steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in this earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So his boast is not so much in all the things that we do, but whether or not we measure up to God. But what we see in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 25, in that next verse, that Israel, even with the Mosaic law, even with all their interpretations of the law, was no different than the pagan nations that God was going to destroy. Look at verse 25 of chapter 9. God says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish those who are circumcised merely in the flesh. Now, does that not have a, a straight line to Galatians? Was that not what they were requiring? He says, Egypt, Judah, Edom, the sons of Ammon, Moab, and all who dwell in the desert, who cut the corners of their hair, for all these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are what? uncircumcised in hearts. What's the problem with Israel? They had the law. They had Moses. They had the prophets. The problem is that though the law is pure and perfect, there was no power to enable them to obey it perfectly. And God says, you're no different than the pagan nations that I'm going to destroy and blow away like chaff. 
But we see a promise in Jeremiah 31. In chapter 31, verse 31, God gives a great promise. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, Well, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, speaking about the Mosaic covenant. Verse 33, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my promise. And we understand from Scripture that Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood. See, God accomplished this by sending His Spirit. John MacArthur writes, at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in the life of a believer. And He becomes the resource and the energy and the power for that believer's life. It is the Spirit who takes Christ's obedience and righteousness and applies it to our heart. It is the Spirit that enables us to desire God rather than the cravings of the flesh and its passions. For you and I, we cannot please God without the Spirit. We cannot be God's children unless we have the Spirit. Paul has taught that to them. In Galatians, he says, I know you have the Spirit. I have seen it in your lives. You and I also have it. Without the Spirit, you and I have no chance to ever come before God and be reconciled and be adopted in His family. Amen? No chance at all. To do rules would never circumcise the heart. God said, instead of laws written on stone, I'm going to write them on your heart. What He means is I'm going to give you a new desire. I'm going to give you new cravings. The Holy Spirit is the resource and the power that enables us to live out those desires. So let me give you three ways that the Holy Spirit will help us. For when he says, walk in the Spirit, I believe this is what he's telling us to do. Is number one, you and I need to understand that the Spirit helps us when he opens up our hearts. John chapter 14, you see it there. He says, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judge. What we see is that the Holy Spirit is going to convict people of their sin, of their need for a Savior. He convicts them of their need for righteousness. No longer is self-righteousness enough. It never was. That's what he's attacking the Pharisees. They believe that their self-righteous works was enough to make it into heaven. But Jesus says, no, it's not. And the Holy Spirit is going to convict. And maybe he's doing that work today to you. Understanding it doesn't matter what you do. You can never be right and please God with just your works. And then he also will convict of judgment, helping the others to understand that one day they will stand before a holy and pure God and have to give an account for their life. So the Holy Spirit helps us when he opens up our hearts. So what does that mean to walk by the Spirit for you and I? Because we need to keep our hearts open. Not by our own self-will, but recognizing what is the Spirit convicting us of. It reminds us of our sin. It reminds us that we are only made right because of God's righteousness or Christ's righteousness. And that one day there's a judgment. 
That's how you and I walk by the Spirit. That's how we're led by the Spirit. It's really saying going back to the gospel, preach the gospel, teach the gospel, read the gospel to yourselves. Understand who you are and who you stand before God. The second way that the Holy Spirit helps us in our walk is that He teaches us about Christ. He teaches us about Christ. In John chapter 16, Jesus continues, speaks, when He says, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are true. So how do we walk by the Spirit? Very simply, by opening God's Word and praying, Spirit, help me to understand. The Bible's not given to private interpretation, but it's given through interpretation of the Spirit as He comes and helps us understand what His Word has to say. When He tells us to obey, we're to obey. When He tells us we're to love, we're to love. The Holy Spirit teaches us how Christ earned our righteousness and the righteousness of Christ. Then thirdly, He teaches us that the Holy Spirit will glorify Christ. That's how He helps us walk in the Spirit. For He says, He will glorify me, for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. And let me tell you, when Paul says walk by the Spirit, he's telling you that you need to glorify God in your walk of life. Let me tell you, if any of you are involved in those things in that first part of the works of the flesh, would you repent and confess it now? I could spend some more time on those. There's sexual sins, social sins, and personal sins. There's some of you that are living a life, you profess Christ, but that life is not the life of a Christian. You're going against the very words of God. And you say, but I need this. I desire this. This helps me make it through the week. You have friends that you ought to shed. No desire to share with them the gospel. God says you need to walk by the Spirit. And that means glorifying Christ with your thoughts, with your actions, and your very being. So when he says walk by the Spirit, you and I need to recognize the gospel. We need to recognize that the Word of God helps us to understand and helps us to obey. And that all of our life is to glorify Christ. Let me share with you today. We need to walk by the Spirit as we crucify the flesh. The two are opposed to each other. Satan's job and work and desire is to paralyze us, to keep us from doing that which God has called us to do. The Galatians were falling into that trap, and Paul pulls them out. I pray that there's none of you that are falling. But if you are, would you grab a hold of the Spirit today? Would you pull yourself up by His power? Would you recognize you're not called to do life alone, but we're to do life together? The Holy Spirit resides in His people, and there's power when His people live together. Let me give you a word of encouragement as we close here. It's in John chapter 17. It says, I have given them your word. This is Jesus' prayer before His disciples, for His followers, right before He went to die on the cross. It says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of this world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. 
And for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. May you be sanctified this morning as you submit to the Lordship of Christ. Father, we come before you and we went through this quickly. But Father, I pray that it would find root in our hearts. If there's any here, Lord, that are struggling in their faith, they found themselves into a a slaw of despond in which they're mired in sin and the behaviors. They're hearing the barking and the call of Satan. And Lord, they're attracted. They find themselves enslaved. I pray that you would give victory today as they turn and repent, confess their sin, and trust in you. Lord, if there's any Christian, Lord, that finds themselves fighting this and losing this battle, I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to capture them and to pull them out. Open our hearts to your gospel. Lord, may we live in a life that's pleasing to you as we walk by the Spirit. We pray this in your name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.